Well, as we start off this morning, I think we live in an ever-changing, ever-growing, always-on-the-move culture. And I don't know about you, but, but for, for me and, and many of us, how many of you have said, I wish there was more time in the day, right? How many of you are driving kids to several sporting events during the day or practice, and you're, you're driving around, right, or, or you're helping out? In fact, I have found myself often even serving so much in church that I forget where my hope and strength comes from. And so today, as we dive into this passage in, in Mark, uh, my, my prayer is a few things, that the Lord would work in our hearts and show us where our strength, where our hope, where our joy needs to come from, but also that we would take a look at, at our priorities and our mission of, of, Lord, what do you really want us to do in life? And so if you think about the passage that we went over last week, as we're going through, if this is your first time, the series on Mark and, and studying God's word is to, to follow in the footsteps and life of Jesus. And last week, we took a look at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And in, in this passage, Jesus goes and he heals the mother-in-law of Peter. And what happens, and this is after dark, right? So they're, they're eating dinner. The sun's already set. All of a sudden, people start bringing Jesus, people that need healed, people that are struggling with demon possession, people that are struggling with, with all sorts of diseases. And they bring him to Jesus. And the scripture tells us that Jesus was healed many that night and cast out many demons. And so how many of you have spent late night studying, right? Or, or you st stayed up late? This isn't your Netflix binge type of staying up, right? This isn't, hey, um, we, we just uh, got really into, um, oh, Danger Will Robinson. I, oh, I forget the name of it, but Lost in Space. There we go. And, and, and so it wasn't that kind of thing. Jesus was pouring himself out. He was building into others. How many of you have ever felt just worn out, right? In fact, you just think, God, I don't have anything else to give anyone else, let alone my children or my spouse or others. Well, Jesus had just poured himself out. And we're going to see an example here in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, of what Jesus did to, to get away, to sustain himself, to build himself up. And you think about Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one that in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, we said, see that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and we go on to see that nothing was made without him. Yeah, we're going to see Jesus had to do something for his own heart. So Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we see this. It says, very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. One of my favorite books that I've ever um, read is, is a book called Teaching to Change Lives by Howard Hendricks. And, and he talks about the fact that when he would, uh, he worked in the cafeteria to help pay for a seminary, and he would ride his bike at 5.36 o'clock in the morning to the cafeteria. And as he would do that, he passed one of his professor's homes every morning. And as he would pass, he would see that man, and he would see him 
opening God's word and pouring into it. And then in the evenings, he would go back after his classes, after he spent time with his family, and he would once again go work in the cafeteria. And when he was coming back around 10, 11 o'clock at night, there was the same professor with his Bible open and spending time with God in prayer. And so he asked his professor, why are you pouring into studying so much? Why are you always digging into God's word whenever I let, uh, drive, go by your house? And the answer was this. I want my students to drink from an overflowing river rather than a dying brook or dying stream. See, I find there, there's lots of times where I get so inundated with things and, and schedules and everything that we have to do that we forget to have a heart like Jesus has in this passage. That we forget about people. We forget about loving God with all our heart. We forget about saying, Lord, I need your strength. I need your might. And so we see that Jesus, the creator of the universe, he starts off with prayer. And so here in this verse, Jesus demonstrates for us our necessity for prayer. How many of you have gotten to the end of the day and the day is just a blur, right? You start off, you have this agenda, you have this list of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you get to the end of the day and you've done nothing on your list. And you're thinking, what in the world just happened? I think a lot of us take our walk with Christ in our devotion time and our time in his word the same way. We make plans, but we really don't dive in. So there's a few things here. Um, we, we go through this. How many of us just say, I don't have enough time in the day? Right? If, if we can add one more day of the week, guess what? We would fill it with mindless stuff, Right? And so there's a few things. With this passage here, it says, in the NIV, it says, he got up early in the morning. The Amplified Version says, long before daylight. But the Greek wording here actually um, states that he got up while it was still evening. Now, most scholars, most commentaries uh, believe that Jesus was probably healing people, probably ministering to souls, probably till 12, 1, maybe even 2 o'clock. And then on the flip side of it, Jesus got up probably around four or five in the morning to go off to a solitary place where he can go and spend time in prayer. The psalmist often referred to this. If, if you are new to this whole idea of prayer and reading scripture, the psalms are a great place to feed your soul. How many of you ever just felt frustrated, worn out? Maybe you don't want to be by anyone and you open the book of Psalms and you see reality, you see a heart that wants to love God. And so a few Psalms here. Psalms chapter 5, verse 3, the psalmist writes, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Psalm 88, 13 says, But I cry for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Psalm 119, verse 47, For I delight in your commands because I love them. You know what I find? Um, just over the past few months, it was about three months ago, and I called one of my friends in ministry. I said, you know, I'm frustrated. I'm agitated. Everything is setting me off. And I don't feel like I'm really loving people like Christ calls me to love. And he said, Dan, let me ask you this. Are you on your knees in prayer first thing when you get out of bed? And before you go to bed, are you going to the Lord and saying, God, would you search my heart? Would you know my thoughts? 
It's amazing how when you start off your morning in prayer, it changes your whole, whole perspective because when really it's about a life of worship. And so when we put Jesus first, we say, Jesus, I want to worship you with all my heart. Guess what happens? It puts a proper perspective because no longer are we doing things on our strength, but we're relying on him. And therefore, it changes our perspective on loving people. In the passage we're going to look at here, Jesus has brought, this man comes before him who's struggling with leprosy. Guess what? When we love Jesus first, we love other people. So I, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. And, and then I'm a better pastor because I can love people better. But most importantly, I'm a I'm a child of God. Now, along with thinking about things, if, if your boss gives you a job to do, you're generally going to do it, right? Students, if, if you're given a homework assignment or you have a test, you're probably going to put in some study work. But so often when the creator of the universe who laid down his life for you and I calls us to spend time with him, to spend time in, in prayer and in the word, we shrug it off like it isn't important. It's interesting, I came across this from social media today. It says, astonishingly, the average person will spend nearly two hours, which is approximately 116 minutes, on social media every day, which translates to a total of five years and four months spent over a lifetime. Right now, the average person will spend seven years and eight months watching TV. And it's interesting. I thought that that statistic was going to show that that generally happens earlier on in your life and you grow out of it. But what statistics show and the studies that they've done have shown is that the average person from ages two really to about 17 spends about 20 hours per week watching TV or on social media. And as we continue on, People 35 for 49 spend 33 hours and 40 minutes on average watching TV a week. That's borderline a full-time job right there, right? And, and so, um, you know, <laughs> you think about this, and, and I, I caught myself this past week. I said, you know, God, I'm busy. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm working in, in my current ministries. I'm preparing the message. I, I, God, I just don't feel like I have enough time. And yet I can think of how many times I watched the Cavs lose or was disappointed in the Browns draft picks when it wasn't Sam Darnold. And then my son saying, Dad, but you told me Sam Darnold's the best. I said, he is. Um, but God can work, right? And, and so we waste this time. The other thing is, and I see this in, in my wife especially in taking three, care of three younger kids and uh, I guess a husband too is finding a solitary place. The word used here to describe going to a solitary place is the very same word that is used to describe the places that Jesus would go out and preach. Jesus got up before anyone else and spent time with the Father, showing the priority. So you and I, sometimes it's going to cost us. It's going to be a little bit of an extra sacrifice. Um, one of the things when I went to Malone that we were given um, in, in spiritual formations class, we were given uh, the task of finding a spiritual discipline and working with it. And uh, this might come as a shock to those of you who know me, but the spiritual discipline I chose was silence. And uh, <laughs> so I, back then they had face plates. I'm learning students uh, haven't dealt with this, but you had face plates for your radio so that people wouldn't steal it and you would take it off and carry it with you and you put it back in when you got in your car. And so I took my face plate off and I put it away in the glove compartment and I spent an hour driving to school and an hour driving back in just prayer and silence and listening to the Lord. And you know, that first hour 
um, and, and first week or two, it was a little awkward. But I started finding out there was a sweetness about it as I started hearing from the Lord and, and just letting the Lord search my heart and say, God, would you search my heart? Would you see if there's any offensive thing in it? And the God starts showing me, Dan, here's areas I need you to grow. Dan, here's people that I want you to love on, that I want you to care about. And so that solitary moment for you might be driving in your car. It might be, be having to go out on a walk. It might be having to put in extra effort. I, I love this quote from Dwight L. Moody. He says, in talking about prayer, focusing our heart on God's will, it, it takes our perspective off of us. It says, prayer does not mean that I am bringing God to, down to my thoughts and my purposes and behind his government, meant according to my foolish, silly, and sometimes sinful notions. Prayer means that I am to be raised up into this feeling, into union and design with him, that I am to enter into his counsel and carry out his purpose fully. How many of you ever had a prayer time where you, you, didn't, really, you didn't really like what the Lord was saying, saying to you or laying on your heart at the time? That you have these times and God starts bringing out conviction and, and challenging you with things. But you know what? There's a sweetness when we get into God's word. When we spend time alone in prayer and we see the Lord starting to work in our hearts and form us and mold us. You know, the highlight of my life is getting to see my son grow in his love for Jesus. And, and seeing him walk and grow into that and pour into him. And I think if I'm not spending the time with Jesus than I need to, then I won't have that same growth. If we continue on to Mark chapter 1, verses 36 through 39, Jesus states his priority and his mission. It's important for us to have purpose and direction in life and, and, and to see where we're going. So Jesus, right here in this passage, tells his disciples, one of the reasons why it's good to find a solitary moment is there's lots of things that will vie for your attention and your time. And they will consume every part of you if you don't watch. So it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. We see Jesus stating his mission and purpose in other passages of scripture. In Luke chapter 5 verse 32 he says, I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me ask you this. What did Jesus say every time that he had healed someone? He'd say, go and sin no more. See, Jesus didn't just care about their physical being. He cared about their heart. He cared about their soul. He cared about everything. And so what, what's interesting here is to really love like Jesus loves, we have to spend time in prayer and say, God, would you help us to love like him? So everyone is looking for him. And you all have times in your life where pressure is mounting, where if you're a student, maybe it's writing papers. If it's a mom, maybe it's, it's working and, and driving your kids. And, and, and if you're a dad, maybe you're saying, Lord, I'm supposed to lead my family. I'm supposed to work. I'm supposed to do all this. But God, right now I feel like I'm helpless. But Jesus states his mission and purpose here. 
And that carries over into everything that he does. And, and, and how many of you have met people who their life is just on mission and purpose, right? And, and their, their purpose is loving people well. And, and, and those are the type of people you want to be by, you want to be around, because they know that it's not about them. It's about first honoring and glorifying Christ, but then serving and loving others. And so in Mark chapter 1, this is where we're really getting to the heart of our passage. We're going to look at verses 40 through 43. And as we read this here, it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Then Jesus sent him away once with a strong warning. And so we're going to continue on here. We're going to see that, that Jesus here... First of all, his compassion on this man. This word indignant, uh, when I first read it in the NIV, I did a lot of research and, and, and to the heart of Jesus here, and it means to have compassion, to have mercy on him. And so you think about what is compassion versus what is pity. Pity is, is what people think about us as Browns fans, right? They might look at us go, oh, you know, poor Cleveland, right? Hope they get it right sometimes. Compassion is actually getting down on someone's level and caring about them, saying, Lord Jesus, I love you so much that I'm going to love your people. Let me ask you this. Who are the people that Christ is calling you to have compassion on? And, and, and sometimes those might be the people who have cost you the most pain and hurt in your life. You know, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie, I can only imagine. But it's a powerful story and imagery of a man whose father was not a loving and kind man. And yet God called him to love his father. And, and, and we saw Christ work and change his life. So this man coming to Jesus and, 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 and the Roman culture that, that, that really the church is in, right? Mark is writing to Christians in Rome who are facing persecution is all built on status. It's all built on popularity. It's all built on honor. And they believe that there was only so much honor to go around. So in fact, let's say that Jeff was kind enough to pave a street for, for the, the city, right? That would be Doringer Way. And so they would all be all about this honor. And, and so this man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And there's a few things that we need to know about leprosy, that leprosy was a terrible disease and, and still is a terrible disease in parts of the world where your flesh would start to, to rot. And, and in fact, that you, if you uh, bumped into something, you could bruise it and it would fall off. And so we see something first in the heart of this man that comes to Jesus. He gets down on his knees before Jesus and says, Jesus, you are able, if you are willing, would you heal me? This man had faith that Jesus can heal him, but also getting down on his knees in itself could have been a risk to his life. Then we think about this on the flip side. Here's Jesus just starting his ministry off. If he would have come in contact with this man, even let alone touch him, he would have been considered unclean and he would have had to live like the others who are dealing with leprosy. And I have a picture up here. Um, when I led a missions trip to Grenada a number of years ago, this island is now a resort with pools and, and expensive um, luxury things. But this island, its main purpose was served as called Leopard Island, where they would put people there to die of leprosy so that they wouldn't infect other people. In fact, there was no cure for it. And so even just in the, in the early church and in Rome, what they would do is 
was if you had leprosy, you were not allowed to live inside city walls. You had to live on the outskirts. You had to live in the wilderness, some of the very places Jesus would pray. And so this man comes to Jesus. If Jesus has contact with him, if Jesus gets involved in his life, guess what? This man could be considered unclean and no one would associate with Jesus. So Jesus has a a, a choice to make. Does he disassociate himself? Does he keep moving on? Or does he reach out to this man? You think about Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And in that passage, there's a story of the centurion. And the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I'm in charge of many people. If I tell my men to go here, they go here. If I tell them to go there, they go there. And and, and, sir, I know that you have the same authority. He says, if you just speak it, my servant will be healed. And so Jesus says, your servant is healed. He goes home and the servant is, is well. Jesus could have just told the man, be healed. And those words alone would have been enough. there's something interesting here. The commentary um, from John Byrne says this, the word be clean would have been sufficient for his healing, then why the touch? Was it to show that he could touch pollution and be undefiled? It was divine sympathy. We can almost hear the leopard say, Lord, I'm unclean, I'm vile, I'm sinful, I'm separated. No one can touch me for fear of population or pollution. Oh, heal me, Lord. At that moment, in that act, Jesus didn't just heal the man. What he did is he humanized him. See, we choose who we want to love. We choose who we want to serve, who we think the gospel is for. And really, Jesus died. He says he wishes that none would perish, but we know that that without Jesus Christ that we are lost. And so when we look at this passage, Jesus reaching out and touching the man, perhaps the greatest act that he did for him is heal his heart to let him know that he mattered, that he was important. And Jesus took the risk. Everyone else was seeing this. Everyone was around him. And yet Jesus reached out and touched this man. I wonder, are you here today and you think, you know what? This is all good and dandy, but you know, with my life, the things that I've done, the things that I've said, the things that I've, I've, I've been, there's no way that God could love me. Just like Jesus reached out and touched that leper, Jesus is calling for our hearts. Maybe you're here and there's someone in your life that you're struggling with loving. How many of us can think of that person that we just, we just think, you know what, Lord? You can save a lot of people, but God, I don't know if you could really touch that heart. What we're doing there is we're telling God, we know more than you. Think about this. A little checklist here. Would the Apostle Paul be considered for eldership in our churches? He was a man who killed people. Would King David, one of the greatest psalmist and a man after God's own heart, We wouldn't let him in our child care. We wouldn't let him in in our churches, right? God uses those who have been saved from from some of the most horrific acts of of things in history. And God calls the Apostle Paul his servant. Brennan Manning says this. He says, by loving the unlovable, Christ has made me lovable. You know, I I stand here as someone who, who... I really don't know why the Lord chooses to use me sometimes. 
But I know this. There's not a, a day that goes by where I, I don't look at my son and, and, and I don't have dreams or aspirations for what I hope he can do for the Lord and in this world. Jesus desires to touch our hearts and change us. Maybe you have hurt. Maybe someone's wronged you and, and, and you're holding on to that. Maybe Jesus is saying, I, I want to I reach down inside your life. I, I want to change that. I want to take that from you. And then the next question is, who are our modern day lepers? Who, who are the people that are considered untouchable in our churches and in our culture? Who are the people that Jesus is calling you and I to reach out to? And, and in my own life, the Lord has worked in my heart to say, God, I want to have a heart for all your people, not just the people that I feel comfortable around. And it's interesting, uh, a number of years ago, um, I was in a youth group setting, and uh, I was at a church in Akron, and this guy came in to the youth group uh, off the streets, and he had uh, cut off Hello Kitty gloves. He had about three or four coats on. Um, he, he had long hair. He, 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 he smelled a little bit, um, but it was youth group, so that really wasn't too far off anyways. And uh, he, he, he came up uh, in there and the other people said, Dan, don't, don't talk to him. Don't, definitely don't give him any money. Don't, don't do that. And as I was sitting there, and, and in my history of this, I generally don't give money, but I'll buy someone lunch or I'll take him out. I felt the Lord say, you know, Dan, I really want you to to, to bless this guy. And I was like, Lord, I'm going to look really dumb. <laughs> you know, but God, if you want me to do this, I'll do this. And so uh, afterwards, we went outside and we prayed. And um, I started talking to him. And he, I said, hey, can I just pray for you? Can I talk to you? He said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm actually a Christian. I'm just going for a wrong time. And the Lord struck in my heart that he felt that he had to say, I'm actually a Christian. And my first reaction was, this man needs Jesus. And see, I don't know his story. I don't know his background. He started sharing with me. As, and I said, no, I just want to pray for you, for the Lord's blessing on your life and that, that God would work. And, and, and he broke down crying. And he said, you know what? No one has actually cared for me in quite a while. And um, that next Sunday, this guy came up to me in a suit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how are you? He's like, I just want to thank you for the other day. I'm like, I have no clue who you are, <laughs> right? I, I've never met you before. And he said, thank you for praying for me uh, in that youth building. He said, God's really worked on my heart. I got a job at McDonald's and I just wanted to come here today. And, you know, my initial heart and reaction was one, first of all, what's this guy doing here? But really, he just needed someone to pray for him. And so, who are the people that are a struggle for you to love? And, and moving along here, in Mark chapter 1, verses 44 45, Jesus gives this strange warning. He says, See that you do not tell this to anyone, but go to show yourself to the priest and offer a sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, that Jesus, or as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the open places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. When you love like Jesus loves, you are going to have costs. 
there's going to be a price to it. it. It might mean if you're a student, maybe God's calling you to go and love, love the person in your, your, your lunchroom or your classroom and go talk to them that everyone says, man, there's something wrong with them. And God's saying, listen, I created them in my image and he's calling you to go love them. Maybe it's the, someone in your workplace, but there might be a cost to it. Notice Jesus could no longer live inside the city walls, but he was into, into the wilderness. Again, the very place that he would pray but also that God would use him, the Father would use him to preach many sermons. So my question for you today is this. In about an hour, the calves are going to play, right? And we hope and we pray that somehow we pull it together just like we always do, right? But their theme is whatever it takes Let me ask you this. Are you willing to do today whatever the Lord says? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to serve him? And that starts with finding time as we go back to beginning in prayer with him and communion and saying, Lord, would you work in my heart and my life? Romans 12, 2 says to be transformed by the daily renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test what is the good and perfect and pleasing will of the Father. You want to see what God's will is for your life? Spend time in prayer and in the word. You continue on, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, what will he do? He'll hear their cries and will heal their land. If we want God to work in our church, in our home, in our families, we need to spend that time in prayer. Second, what is your mission statement? What is your life worth? When you evaluate things, do we do things just to do them or do we do them because the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ has called us to do them? Dwight L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do far more with it than you can. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I don't want anyone to be in control of me. I want to tell you that we are missing out on the blessing that God has for us, that when we surrender our will to him, he promises us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we know that one day, God's word says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? If you surrender your life to him, we can hope and trust in the promise of Revelation chapter 21, where it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and the old things will be gone. We have a friend who, him and his wife, they run Camp Patmos and the wife just got uh, diagnosed with cancer and told that it, it is most likely terminal, Their hope is built in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're struggling with, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on. I encourage you to surrender it to him. Thirdly, are you willing to have compassion on whoever the Lord calls you to? This isn't a choice. This isn't, Lord, I'll love them if if you really call me to. It's interesting here that my, my dad has always said that it's oftentimes that Christians shoot their wounded. That oftentimes we, 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 instead of loving on people who are wounded, we run away from it. Can I encourage us as a body of believers that we say, Lord Jesus, who do you want me to love on? And if you have aught against a brother or sister in Christ, guess what? When we're in heaven, we're all going to be together. God might put that very person that you're struggling with as your next door neighbor. Uh, and, and those of you who have had neighbor struggles, picture that one, right? But you show me someone who chooses whom or whom they will not serve and does not have compassion on other people, and I will show you a carnal person, which is someone who loves the flesh rather than the Holy Spirit's leading. 
And lastly, have you allowed Jesus to heal you? You know, if you're here today and, and, and you don't have that relationship with Christ, you've never asked Jesus to come in and heal you and change your life, I, I want to encourage you this. Being a Christian doesn't mean that life gets easy. It doesn't mean that all the hardships go away. In fact, um, we've probably endured more hardships this past year than we have in a long time. But you know what? There's a sweetness now to when we read God's word and spend it in prayer. Because everything is different. And our hope isn't in here. It's in the life to come. So I want to encourage you, if that's you today, come talk to someone up here. Let, uh, don't leave here today without saying, Lord Jesus, just like the, the leper, he wasn't too proud to get before Jesus. Some of us here, we have things that we need to lay before him. And you know what I found out? That isn't just for those that don't know Christ. Sometimes it's for those of us who have been believers a long time. And we need to say, Lord Jesus, I need you to heal this bitterness in my heart. I need you to heal this brokenness. Lord Jesus, I need you. And when we get out of the way and we see God work, wow. Because we are worshiping an ultimately powerful God who is infinitely wise, whose vastness ranges far beyond what we could see or hope and think. And we could trust that he always has our best interest in heart and he has compassion on even a sinner like me. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be here as we leave here, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't just look at Sunday as the time that we get filled up with your word. Lord, I pray for those that are here who are hurting, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would see that you want to have compassion and mercy on them. Lord Jesus, those that are here, that, that Lord, that, that, that they're overwhelmed, that they would cast their cares upon you and at the cross. And Lord, for those that do not have a relationship with you, Lord, would you help show them the fact that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, that you have, have plans to work in our lives, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, but that means that it cost you everything upon that cross. And yet even from the cross, you would say words like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Lord, help us be people that love you, and love your word, and love others. In your precious name, amen. Well, thank you, Dan. We, uh, we love having you here this morning. And